And it's Tuesday. We are in Psalms chapter number 10 today. Psalm 10. And Lord willing, we're going to look at the whole chapter. So if you have your Bible, we're in Psalm 10. And I'll start reading in verse number 1. Once you find your place there, everybody got it? Okay, Psalm 10, verse number 1. The Bible says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire, and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself, that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it, for thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The heathen are perished out of his land. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. And that ends Psalm chapter number 10. There's a lot that I could pull out of this chapter, and perhaps something struck your heart already and helped you. But I want to focus in on one little statement in verse number five. His ways, talking about the wicked, are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. Well, that sounds like a a rough go of it, doesn't it? Sounds real tough. And verse number four describes the wicked better right before the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. God is not in all his thoughts. Verse number one says, why standest thou afar off, O God? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? Have you ever felt like that? Where is God? Where is God when I need him? Does it sometimes seem like God is afar off when he is most needed? <laughs> well, now we always need God. Sometimes you really need God. And that's always the time when you can't figure things out yourself or when things are tough. And you'll look back on those times and you'll see if you do with those times what God intends for you to do. You'll see how those times brought you closer to the Lord, which are, are the best of times, really. Verse number two says, the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. 
let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. Now, it's in pride because he doesn't see God. He doesn't see God like you might not see God when you need him, but the wicked doesn't see God and he's not looking for God. He is in pride doing what he's not supposed to do because he doesn't think God's going to do anything about it. He doesn't believe he'll ever be held to account for what he's doing. And the psalmist says, let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. This is the danger of a strategy outside the will of God. What you think will benefit you will only take you. And David says, let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. Verse three says, the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous. I mean, don't you have any shame? Don't you see that you're you're boasting of what you want, but what you want is directly against what God wants. Don't you see you're fighting against God, but the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. He blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. Now, God is love. Yes, the Bible says explicitly, God is love. But God also, at the same time, we saw it, I think, uh, last last chapter where it says that the Lord is angry with the wicked every day. God also hates wickedness at the same time. And the wicked blesses the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth to abhor, just to let you know, to remind you, means to hate extremely with contempt, to loathe, detest, abominate. There is no stronger word than abhor. And the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto you. What God has set in order, you cannot turn around. Woe unto you. The Lord abhors that. Verse number four, the wicked through the pride of his countenance. There it is. That's what makes someone do that is pride because pride makes you look inward, not upward. Pride makes you search your opinion, not the Bible. Pride prevents someone from believing in God but believing in evolution instead. Pride is what makes somebody think when they stand before God, they'll be judged on whether they did enough good things in order to get into heaven. And if they do enough good works, they'll be able to get into heaven. That's pride because God has said that only by the blood of Jesus Christ can you and I have forgiveness of sins, only by the blood, only by putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only way, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And pride makes you think there's a different way, a better way, other than the way God has given. The pride or the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. The wicked is saying, I don't need God because I have me. Now, you might be thinking, I'm not prideful. How do I know if I'm prideful? You're probably thinking, that's not me. I'm not prideful. And I don't think I've ever met anybody who did think they were prideful. (laughs) Unless they were uh, actually pretty humble. It's sort of funny. If somebody does think that they struggle with pride, then they are are probably actually having a pretty good view of themselves. And they're probably one of the more humble people you'll meet. But I think all of us struggle with pride to some degree. I think it manifests itself a little differently according to maybe your personality or your setting or whatever. But pride is thinking that you know better than God. That's what pride is. In fact, 
The end of verse number four is really the, the little statement that I want you to notice in this whole chapter and pull out and is what is helping me. Uh, the, the wicked through the pride of his countenance, verse four, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. God is not in all his thoughts. What is a mark of the prideful person, the wicked person, the one who's not seeking after God? God is not in all his thoughts. Is God in all your thoughts? Is God in all your thoughts? Is God in all your thoughts? Does that seem extreme to you to always be thinking about God? Well, according to the Bible, the mark of a proud person is not thinking about God in everything that you think about. Now, how is that practically possible to always be thinking about God? Well, remember when you were in love? Now, for me, that's all the time. We're coming up on 11 years marriage this week, and my wife is in all my thoughts. She's across the room. I'm going to look at her. She's smiling. She agrees, okay? So do you remember, do you remember when you were first in love though? Now I love my wife, but you remember when you were first in love? I remember when I first saw my wife singing in chapel where we went to Bible college at West Coast Baptist College. And as she got up to sing in the girls trio, she was standing in the middle. And when she opened her mouth as an angel, the heavens declared the glory of God and the work of his fingers, his handiwork, and this beautiful angel was singing with the trio in chapel. The light shone right down upon her. Her hair was glistening. I was agape. She remembers seeing me out there as, quote, the guy with his mouth open. So she saw me too. Now, it was love at first sight for me. She probably thought it was a orangutan sitting in chapel with a coat and tie. But for the rest of the day, I don't know who she was, nor name, anything. But for the rest of the day, for many days, weeks, I don't remember. All I could think of was that girl. I called my mom that day and I said, I found the girl I'm going to marry. She said, what's her name? I said, I don't know. Where's she from? I don't know. All I could say is that she sang in chapel today and she's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. And for, I don't remember when it ever stopped, but while I was getting ready, I was thinking about that girl and Bible. I thought I figured out her name later, but in Bible doctrines class, I was thinking about her at work in the warehouse, stacking totes till the wee hours of the morning to pay for college. I was thinking about her in the choir, thinking about her at church, going soul winning, talking to friends at the coffee shop. She was in all my thoughts. Do you know why? Because I was in love and you and I are to love God more than anything, more than anybody. Matthew 22, verses 36 through 38. They said to Jesus, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. So on top of love to the Lord, we are more than that, we're to worship. It's not just like an infatuation we have with somebody. We are choosing to put our affection, our love, our permanent love in the Lord. We worship God. Now, we're never to worship another person, even your wife, nothing, no person, nothing. We're only worshiping God. He is the lawgiver, the just one, the God of the universe. What God says is true. And our life goal is to glorify God. I want you to make sure you have this verse in your mind 
and in your heart on a day-to-day basis to always uh, answer a questionable thing or activity or something, whether therefore ye eat or drink, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. So we know that everything, even taking a bite to eat or drinking a cup of water, or whatsoever you do, you think, well, now, why did God say that? Eating and drinking, what, what, I mean, that's not really a spiritual thing. What God is saying is everything. He's giving you such a, a simple example that whatever is happening, yeah, name it, that should be to the glory of God. All right, so from that, I would say, what, what, what does that mean? To glory, what brings glory to God? What is really the main thing that God is looking for? What brings glory to God is obedience. That brings glory to God. Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, and yet he was subservient to his father, even though they were one, he glorified God by obeying his father. John 17, verse 4, Jesus was speaking to his father, and he said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. We glorify God by our obedience to God. We do what God wants us to do, how he wants us to do it. The Christian life is is really simple. There's a lot of books written about it. We have a whole big Bible about it, but really it boils down to that, is doing what God wants, how God said. 1 Peter chapter 4, let me read you a few of these verses. Do you have time? Okay, I'll keep going. First Peter 4 says, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? You see, everybody will give account to God. For this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Watch, or excuse me, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So, so far you see, there's a way that we're to be to one another, and that is ceasing from sin and doing what God has said in the spirit. Verse number 11. Now notice this verse, 1 Peter 4, 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Now, let me explain that. That means if you're going to open your mouth and give somebody else a word, it needs to be exactly what God would say what God would have you say, what would bring glory to God. Let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister or serve, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth. So it's not the person that's doing it. It's as of the ability which God giveth. God is using a person or God is using a person to speak what he would have them speak. Okay, that, I'm going back in the verse, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, 
to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So in order to glorify God, when we speak, we say what God would say in the way that God would have us say it. So how do we glorify God? How do we know what God wants? How do we know the character of God? The same way we know the simple name of Jesus. The same way we know about the cross, the resurrection, creation, the rapture, the word of God, the Bible. The Bible is all we have. The Bible is all God has given us. Now, there's a lot more that could be said besides what's in between Genesis 1 and the very last page of Revelation. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. But that's what God has given us. And what God has given us is exactly what we need to know. It's all we need to know. You could spend a lifetime studying the word of God and always be blessed by it. So how do we keep God in all our thoughts practically? All right. So the wicked doesn't seek after God. So go back to Psalm. If you turn to 1 Peter 4, thank you. Go back to Psalm chapter 10. How how do we keep God in all our thoughts practically? We constantly filter everything through what the Bible says. We live in the word of God. We build our lives on the Bible. We do what we believe God would have us do in every situation. How do I know? Have you been in your Bible? When you're in the Bible, you get the explicit command of God. You get the mind and character of God. The Holy Spirit promised to bring to remembrance all things whatsoever Jesus has said unto us. What has Jesus said unto us? It's all contained in the Bible. When we open our mouths, we are to speak as the oracles of God. How do we know what God has said? It's in the Bible. When we serve, we do it as of the ability which God giveth. Go back to Psalm chapter number 10. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Now, I want you to see, okay, so I'm not a wicked person. Is God in all your thoughts? If God is not in all your thoughts, keep reading. This is describing that person. His ways are always grievous. Everything's a problem. Everything's hard. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. So you can't understand what God wants or what he's doing. He puffs at his enemies. Verse six, he hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved for I shall never be in adversity. I'm not moving ever. God can't move me. God can't change me. I shall never be in adversity. Verse seven, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. Man, it's getting out of hand. His eyes are privily set against the poor. He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth them into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fall by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Now, that's pretty wicked. But when you trace it back, all the way back, you find it started with pride, not seeking after God, and not keeping God in all his thoughts. There's a few more verse verses there, but I just want to leave you with that. Is God in all your thoughts? Is there an area of your life where God is not a consideration? Where his word is not explicitly followed? Where the spirit of God is not welcome? You and I are to love God with all our hearts, souls, and minds. 
be someone today of whom it could be said, God is in all his thoughts.